Feminine Founder. I'm Caroline Pennington, your host. Today, I have Vanessa Cutler joining me. Vanessa has close to a decade of experience working in the people and culture space, and she is currently the Vice President of People and Culture at PolicyMe. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. So I'd love to hear your story of your career and how you landed at PolicyMe as the VP of People and Culture. Sure. Since I know we're trying to keep this to the key highlights, I'm going to make it short but insightful, hopefully. Uh, I had started out my career in management consulting at Deloitte, so uh, a bit of a different start to, to move into the people space. But while there, I used to lead recruitment for Queen's University, which is where I went to undergrad side of desk. And I, I fell in love with this concept of how to bring people into the business and I found that as we were bringing newer consultants in, I was always looking for ways to help them grow and develop and, and reach their goals. And with that too, with my strategy casework, I would always think about what are the implications of the strategy we're recommending? Who's going to actually deliver on this? What does it mean for the people? And about five years ago, I started making a, a more formal transition into the people space. This happened through the creation of an HR tech startup, which I co-founded and we had based in Germany, so a little bit of a, a different part of the world, but it was an excellent experience to connect with a lot more HR leaders, people and culture leaders from around the world, understand their needs. We had built a solution to eliminate the need for resumes and cover letters when applying for more junior roles and instead focused on a challenge-based, aptitude-based approach to help minimize bias in the process and help give everyone more of a fair shot. And coming out of that, our startup didn't work like most don't. And I then moved into uh, people and culture roles within tech since that was the space that I was already doubling down on. So prior to coming to PolicyMe, I was the director of people at Acumetrics, which is a different tech company also in Canada. And I've been at PolicyMe now for just under two years. I love my job. I feel very grateful every day to get to do something I enjoy so much. But I would say definitely, uh, you know, I didn't grow up in HR, but I think what that really helped me with was to understand how business leaders think, understand the, the true needs of the business and how to be an effective partner uh, in the strategy side of things as well. I am part of the executive team at PolicyMe too, so I do get to work on some of our company strategy in, in addition to the people and culture component as well, but people and culture is my primary function. I love that. So you've been in management consulting, you've been in the tech space, and now you're spearheading people and culture at PolicyMe. What has worked best for you when it comes to finding top talent? Yeah, I think this is a question that every person that is hiring struggles with, which is how do we find the people that we want? So I'm going to tell you a couple things that um, maybe things that people already know, but I'll tell you how they worked for us. And then a couple things that are a little different that we've done. Does that sound good? Yeah, go for it. Okay, awesome. So I would say one of the biggest things, especially for smaller startups, when I joined Policy, we were just over 30 people, is how do you get people to actually consider you as an employer and as an option? Because people don't really know who you are, right? So they see a job posting on LinkedIn or maybe they never even see it because you're, you're small, right? So there's a very, very low level of awareness about your company and the fact that you're hiring. So one of the things that I started working on right away was building our employer brand. And building an employer brand can look super different for organizations. 
And it partly depends on what feels, I think, natural for the company. So some companies have really outward facing founders that are always talking about the company, that are always going to conferences. And some companies have founders that are very involved in growing the business and they're not as public. And when I joined Policy Me, we were the latter. So for me, it was one of those things where at the beginning we tried a little bit, but it just wasn't the natural way to get our name out there because it wasn't the natural inclination of, of our founders to spend time doing that because they are so strong in helping us grow, which we have significantly since I joined. So I said, okay, well, we need a way to do this. And I said, okay, well, I think I can do it. You know, I, I love talking to people. I don't mind being on LinkedIn frequently and doing things like this, this podcast today. So I said, let me see how, how we can get it going. On top of that, uh, we did double down on some commercials when I first started, but then moved more into the social media side of things. But what I found is that uh, when it comes to building an employer brand, people are going to be working for people and they need to feel like they know who's hiring. And the, the commonality was, okay, if I'm the one doing this, the cool thing is I'm usually part of the beginning of everyone's process in some way, shape or form, or at the bare minimum at the end. And because of that, it gives a familiar face, right? People know that if they're looking for a job at Policy Me, they can find me, they have a better sense of who I am, what we're like, and I talk a lot about our culture. So I decided to just double down and I would say what's been super interesting is because I genuinely am super impressed by our founders I have been since I joined by the rest of our leadership team, what we're working on, I just attached my own brand to it, you know? So I said, okay, it's going to be one and the same. The, the way that I talk about our company is going to be aligned with how I talk about my perspectives in the people and culture space. And I know that's a lot on the employer branding side of things, but I wanted to give it a little bit of a different perspective as to how I've been able to, to leverage that to help recruit talent. And I will say um, now, even as high as like, I don't know, about 50% of the time, someone mentions that they saw something about us on LinkedIn. And they either say they saw my LinkedIn or something that they can't quite remember where, but that they saw something about policy me on LinkedIn. And it's crazy to see the impact that that has if you commit to it and keep building. Now, a couple other areas, especially for those that don't love being on LinkedIn all the time, I will say direct outreach via LinkedIn, super effective using emails, getting to people that are outside of your network, especially for recruiting for more specialized roles that are hard to find. And then I would say generally events. So we've hosted a couple for recruitment purposes ourselves, but also just attending events where the people are that would potentially want to work at your company and just more broadly networking and meeting people. I think those are some of the best ways because you don't know who you could meet today that could be perfect in the future or who knows who. So the more that you can expand the, the reach and people knowing about what you're doing, the easier it becomes to find that talent because people know where to find you. I think this is just a common issue of startups or small to medium-sized businesses that are not household names, right? It's like, how do we make people know to even consider us? which is kind of that first bucket of the funnel around awareness for finding that top talent. I love that you dug deeper into the building the employer brand because most of the companies that even I've recruited for on the agency side have been the small to medium-sized businesses. And yes, they have some marketing, some don't, but creating that awareness and attracting people to come to you is so impactful. And at least if people have seen the name or, and the electronic reach that you can have on LinkedIn impact is wild and it's free. 
Um, yeah. And so that's, I love that you touched on, and elaborate on that so much. You know, the other thing that we did, we put together two different culture videos, one about our company as a whole and the other to hire software engineers. And they have been super impactful as well. We share them a lot and we were really, really careful in how we built those to really showcase who we are. And I've had a couple of people that we've hired then say, wow, it's just like the video. And I'm like, great, that's what we were aiming for. You know, like we want to give you a real behind the scenes of what it looks like. It's not like a cookie cutter, you know, here's some B-roll of a, you know, that's not really how we went about it. We went in a very real way with them. I love that you touched on that culture piece too, because culture is so much more than just a buzzword. It's, I can't tell you how many of thousands of candidates I've worked with over the years that say that's the one thing that they want to leave for is they want a company with a better culture that treats their employees better. And the fact that you guys are able to capture that in a 30 second, one minute, two minute video and have people actually give you feedback that they experienced, that is huge. Yeah, it. I feel really proud of the the ones we put together. We are very lucky. We have an amazing videographer in house as well, so that um, he's part of our culture, right? So I think he really understood how to capture it too. All right. So here's the number two question: After you find the top talent, after you find top talent, then how do you keep them? Yeah, great question, Caroline. So in preparing for today, my first bullet that I wrote to support my thinking and how I answer this to you was so much. In terms of there's just so much that you need to do nowadays in order to be able to keep people. And I, I think that partly relates to the fact that it, it is easier than it used to be to switch jobs, right? You can find a new job online. Most of us that work remotely are still from home. You can just switch. It's easy enough to send back your equipment, get new equipment. It's not, uh, there isn't as big of a barrier as it used to be. You know, you have to say bye to everyone. It's awkward. That has gone down quite a bit. So in terms of keeping people, um, the the best way that I'd start, and I, I know this seems like a basic thing to say, but I'll explain a little bit more, is you need to build an environment where people want to show up to work every day. And if you're not focused on doing that, everything else kind of falls apart, right? Because you really need a place where people are going to want to spend their day to day. We spend so much time at work. And if people are miserable, they're going to leave, right? Like it's very basic, but I think sometimes we forget that that's really what it comes to. So how do you do that, right? So the first thing is ask people what they want. Not every company is the same. Not every person is the same. There's so many times that I'm speaking with, you know, founders outside of policy me that are just starting up their organizations and trying to figure these things out. Or even people that are further along that are like, Vanessa, it seems like policy me is going really well and it seems like you have a great culture. How do you do it? I'm like, we talk to our people. You know, if if you don't talk to your people, it's hard to know what's going on. And we we do this in a few ways. Uh, of course, I always open door. People message me all the time, but we run a quarterly engagement survey that's very pointed. And I take feedback from that every quarter and reset the priorities for the people and culture team based on what our employees need. And for example, last year, we had promoted a few people into new manager roles. Many people needed manager training and they were feeling like, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. And I said, okay, like we need to give you training. So we launched manager and leadership training this year. I'm running two cohorts, one with our manager group and one with our leadership team that I'm a part of. And we found an excellent learning partner, Elevate Academy through the US that helps me with content. And I deliver these sessions and we're almost wrapping up. 
both cohorts uh, th this summer. We're on sessions 10 of 12. And, you know, that came because our manager said, hey, we need training. You know, we've been put into these new roles and we don't think we can just thrive. And it makes total sense. It's just when you're a startup and when you're not that big, you can't do everything all at once, right? So I think in terms of keeping people feeling heard is one of the most important things because they know that even if you can't do everything today because you don't have the budget or you don't have the team size or you're small or whatever that looks like, if you're listening to them, they know you're going to get to it, right? And I think that's kind of the, the biggest part. I will say beyond that, there's a couple things around how you set up the practices. So you want to make sure that you offer flexibility. It continues to be the number one thing that employees ask for. It can look different ways in different companies. So for us, for example, it's being remote first, which means you can work from wherever you work best. You know, we trust you to deliver. And that also means for the social connection standpoint, we do get together in person three times a year. We fly everyone in. We do a lot of virtual socials, team socials. There's a lot of other components in place to keep that social connection. But for the day-to-day, -day, we trust our employees. And I, I think that that, coupled with listening, asking what people want, and then also making sure there's good space for career growth. You know, as much as possible, people need to see a path forward and, and that's how they stay. But I will also say what's super important is realizing where there isn't a path forward and not keeping people around with false promises or in roles that are just not well served for them because you're like, oh, but they're so great. I don't want them to leave. A lot of the times we just think about what's best for the person, right? And it's like, if the role that they want is not going to be here for years, because we're just not going to get to that point in that function, then what we do is we're just honest, right? And we say, hey, you know, this may not exactly be the place where you're going to be able to find that thing that you're looking for. Let's help you find something else. Or let's help you find another role here that potentially could be that thing you're looking for. I love that you touched on the engagement survey. There's so many companies that don't do that. And I love that you do it once a quarter because things change. I mean, that's the number two question is the flexibility piece is, you know, and right next to culture that I get asked as a recruiter. And, you know, the candidates want flexibility and the, the companies that aren't offering it and whatever fill in the blank area that is, they're not getting top talent. And yeah, it's arbitrary. I mean, it's like, they make these rules for what reason, you know? Yeah, and I was gonna say, it's actually interesting, just anecdotally, a couple months ago, I had someone that we ended up hiring that they said to me, you know, I love my job, I love where I am. I wouldn't be thinking of leaving, but they're making us all go back to the office. It's a 45 minute commute for me. Even if I have to go in two or three times a week, this is ridiculous, I, I can't do that. It adds so much more to my day. So I'm looking for a new job and we ended up hiring them. And they're doing great and they're super happy. And the only reason that company lost one of their awesome humans was because they were unwilling to consider the needs of that person. And I, I don't know, I think there's some companies where being in person makes sense. I've actually spoken to some people and culture leaders that have explained to me, you know, the ways that they do product development. It's just really hard to be apart because of their methodologies and like needing to be in a room together. And I hear it, like I, I get it. But there's many companies that I think are simply just bringing people back in because of lack of trust or they have office space that they're paying for and like they want someone using it, right? And those are not good enough reasons to bring your people back. Absolutely. I'm 1 million percent with you and all the above. So what advice do you have for others on best practices when it comes to recruiting and hiring in? 
we are going to overlap with the last two questions a little bit, but I mean, best practices go. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So, um, again, I think Caroline from, from the time we've known us, I think, you know, that I'm a very prepared person. So I, th in my line, I was like, this is going to overlap. So I left myself a note and I'm like, what are the four things that I think we won't have talked about till this point? So I actually have four for you that are a little different than what we've discussed so far. Of course, some of the things that we've talked about already are best practices that people can take, but there's a couple more things uh, that I wanted to share that are a little different. So the first, I think when it comes to recruitment processes, it's super important in terms of best practices to create equity in that process. And what I mean by that is there's three things that organizations can do up front that are free that can help create that equity. So the first is the job description. I always say, read your job description. Does it have really big words that someone's not going to understand? Does it have any gendered language that you should think about generalizing? When you read it, do you actually need those requirements for the role or did you just copy paste them from somewhere and they're not actually needed? Look at your job description. It's really what people are going to use to consider what are, whether they should apply or not. And we know that, especially for women, we only apply if we meet at least, depending on the data set, but like eight of the requirements. Some say as high as 10. So you don't want to miss out on a whole bunch of awesome candidates because you put in a requirement that actually was not a requirement. So that's part one of three. Second is for resume review. I always say just make sure that you are being as bias free as possible. What do you actually need for the role when you're looking at the candidates? You know, I um in the past, um, I once heard someone say something like, oh, I can't pronounce this person's name. You know, it's going to be too complicated. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. You can just learn someone's name. You know, simple things that sometimes people still get tripped up on. That it's like, you know, the first time I meet someone, if I don't know how to pronounce their name, Caroline, what did I do with you when we met? I said, is it Caroline or is it Carolyn? You know, and you just get through it. And I, I think it's just making sure that in that resume review phase, you're going to be as fair as possible. And then the, the last piece on the, the hiring process would be to make sure that your interview process is going to be consistent. The number of times that a hiring manager falls in love with a candidate and they say, can I talk to them again? And I say no, because we need to get through the entire process in the same way for everyone. If there's someone you really like and you want to talk to them again, you're only going to like them more in advance of thinking through the decision making. And if we need to talk to someone again, well, let's pick who were the top two or three and let's have that extra conversation with all of them so we give everyone a fair shot at sharing that additional information we were missing. So it's super important, I think, when it comes to best practices, people can tell when you're thinking about these things. And anytime that I feel like we've messed up or our process got too long or something got weird, I always say to the candidate, I'm like, I'm really sorry, you know, this happened and now this is why this is going on. And as much as possible, I try to share like sometimes someone goes on holidays, sometimes someone didn't realize they really cared about this one thing that they learned through the process because their first time hiring for the role. Those things happen. And I think remembering that people are people, treat them like people. A candidate is not a number, it's a person, the better that it is. And, you know, sometimes things get lost in the shuffle of hundreds of first applicants. But especially, I think, once someone is in your process and you've met them and you've talked to them, it's super important to ensure that you feel that person-to-person -person connection. Um, so that was one of four things that I wrote for you. I promise the other three are a little quicker. Uh, the, the second one is related to interviews as well. 
I always say train hiring managers or anyone that's going to be interviewing. Don't assume that people just know how to interview. That is usually the wrong assumption. I would say assume no one knows how to interview, if anything, right? Because you want to make sure people are asking consistent questions, that they're asking questions that are actually good questions to ask in an interview process. So train your managers, train anyone interviewing. Uh, the third is be resilient. It's a numbers game. Um, I have had this conversation many times. The more candidates you get in the top of the funnel, the more likely you are to find the person. Sometimes it takes time, especially for specialized and more nuanced roles. I think being resilient as, as the hiring team, but also setting those expectations with a hiring manager. I always say to people, when you're looking to hire for a role, it's going to take us at least two months from that first conversation to the day you have someone starting, if we're lucky, because we need to go through figuring out all the requirements, getting the job description up. And even if we can do that within a couple of days, we need to interview all the candidates. Most interview processes have three to five interviews these days because you're including a screening call, some interview with a hiring manager, usually one more person, a final round. So that the minimum that it's going to take is a week per person. And you're going to want to look at a couple people. And then when you make your choice, you're going to have to give them a few days to think about it. And then after that, they're usually going to have to quit their job, which is minimum two more weeks. And in some cases, four weeks, right? So I always level set and make people aware of this so that they can be mindful of when they think they're going to be needing people. Um, because a lot of times, if not, it can be this thing of like, oh, I need someone in two weeks. You're not going to get that person in two weeks. And the last one which relates to this is hire slow and fire fast. I mean, this is a pretty uh, general uh, comment that I now see in, in many places, but, you know, take the time you need to make sure you're bringing on the right person, but no. And I've, I've heard different stats from different places. I always say one in two, one or two in every 10 is likely to be a bad hire. I've heard some people say as bad as 40% of your hires, you may have to let go of, but it, you know, interviewing is not a perfect process. Meeting people for a couple hours is not bulletproof and just be comfortable with that. And don't feel bad if you hire the wrong person, but just do something about it as quickly as possible. I think all those four bullet points are spot on. I see that, you know, I love that you like to load the funnel too, because you're right. I mean, candidates, I, I preach about this on LinkedIn all the time, just because they're interviewing with you, it's not an exclusive relationship. They're most likely interviewing with other people too. And if they're really good, you're most likely gonna get into a multiple offer scenario. Yeah, exactly. And I always ask too, right? If there's someone we really love, like, are you interviewing with other companies? Or um, if people are not comfortable sharing that, I do always say, just let us know if you get another offer, just so we can be a part of your consideration set. That's an easy ask. And then they'll most likely get a counter offer too. And that's another conversation. But as long as they feel comfortable enough to feel, be transparent with you, I think that gives at least an, an edge just to have that information and, and be useful. 100%. So how have you seen the job market shift in 2023 versus 2022? Oh, I think it's it's a weird market, right? I think we saw this issue of there were a lot of layoffs and then people weren't applying. Then the market kind of picked back up last year. Then it kind of slowed down again. I think one of the things that I'm seeing as a, as a response to this is just a bit less switching. I think that uh, before, like I was saying at the beginning, it, it still feels easier to switch jobs than it did maybe five, 10 years ago. But I would say it's happening less than when there was a huge boom, grow at all costs strategies and companies were hiring like crazy. So I do see less switching. What this means is, you know, people are not applying for jobs as much, but if you reach out to them, 
and they are interested in new opportunities, they will still respond. I think they just need to feel like, oh, okay, like this might potentially make sense to me. And with that, I think that there's just more intentionality in the job search process. I think that people are not just taking the first thing that comes. People are thinking more broadly around some of the areas that we discussed, like flexibility, like career growth, and they're really considering what it means to work in an organization. And back to that first point of, are you building a place where people want to show up every day, right? Like these are part of the consideration. So definitely more intentionality. I hear a lot more people asking me questions about those things. And then maybe the last one that I'll share is, I I do think we've talked about this a little bit already, but there are many employers that are switching to return to office or at least some hybrid model companies that were letting employees do what they wanted that are now saying we want you in two to three days a week and i do think that is directly resulting in some people searching for new jobs because they just can't fit that into their schedule anymore i think sometimes um people forget that there were many people that moved during COVID during the last couple of years, even in, in the last little while since things have opened up, and they're just not as close to the office as they were before. There is so much more space, especially in Canada. We have so much land, and people just moved a little further away from the downtowns because, you know, they, they felt like it wasn't necessary anymore to be that close. And it's a really big ask for some people, especially those with young kids, to now have to make these monumental shifts to commute every day. So, in terms of shifts in 2023, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens and if some of the companies pull back those policies as they see some of their strongest people leaving. Because I do think the strongest people are the ones that leave because they're the ones that know they can easily get a job somewhere else that will give them the flexibility they want, right? So I'm really curious to see what happens because I see a potential that the people that stay are the ones you don't necessarily want to stay. You know what I mean? Like they're not your best people and they're staying because they can't, they can't really go seeking that flexibility. So I, I think that in terms of um, the the switches, uh, we're going to see that going into, I think even into 2024, that they continue to happen, especially for top talent looking for flexibility. 100%. So as we wrap up today, how can our listeners find you? Yeah, I think the, the easiest way is LinkedIn. You know, I, I think we talked about it quite a bit today, but I am there. I'm very active. So feel free to, to follow, connect. It's always great to, to find others that are like-minded, especially in the people and culture space. And I love seeing other people's content too. It helps me with my day-to-day thinking. And hopefully some of my content will be helpful to, to some of your listeners too. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Caroline.